Hey, good morning, y'all. Stand up. Let the redeemed of the Lord sing hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let the redeemed of the Lord sing our God reign. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. And if you're watching online, thanks for tuning in. 
Well, my name's Christina, and I work for Kids World here at New Spring, and I'm just here to welcome you and to kind of tell you what to expect over the next hour. But before I do that, if it's your first time here, we are so glad that you came, and we would love to hear from you. You can fill out a talk to us card you can find in the back of the seat in front of you. You can fill it out with whatever information you feel comfortable, and then you can put it in the offering bucket as it, slip, as it passes by here in a little bit, or you can take it to one of our guest services. There's one in the front foyer, as well as a small one back by the coffee shop, and they have a special gift they'd like to give you with a little something sweet inside just to say thanks for coming. Like I said, our service is about an hour long, so the band will continue to lead us in worship, and then we're going to hear a message from God's Word. We're in the third weekend of our series, If I Should Die, and today's message is entitled, If Not. Well, as for now, I want you to put your attention to the screens and watch this video. Thanks again for coming, guys. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. Can't wait to see you. Happy birthday, Dad. All I want is nothing more.
Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that we can worship you freely in a place like this this morning, God. We thank you for those that have sacrificed their lives so we have this freedom to worship you, God. May we never take it for granted when we're in this place, God, the blessings that you have poured upon us. Thank you for the church, Lord. We thank you for our worship time here this morning. May we continue to bless you as we worship and listen to your word that you've given to Pastor Mark. Speak through him, God. Guide and direct him today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Spring. Welcome to the fifth of five weekend services. We're so glad you guys are here. Right now, we're in a series called If I Should Die, and today's title is called If Not. So we're going to look at the possibility that we just might not die. And then next week, I've got, I've got a message that I really hadn't even planned to bring when I started this series. It's just been something that the more I've thought about, the more this thought has captured me. So uh, people are always asking me, will I know my friends? Will I know my family when I get to heaven? I'm going to answer that question. If I got a talk for you called The Person in Heaven, I'll Have the Most Trouble Recognizing. I cannot, that's the longest title I think I've ever had. But uh, that's next weekend, and I'm just so pumped about that. The Person in Heaven, I'll Have the Most Trouble Recognizing. We'll do that next week, but right now we've got this message, if not. And then two weeks from right now, we start a brand new series. Our Christmas series is called Six Life-Changing Lessons from a Christmas Carol. And that will carry us all the way through our Christmas Eve services. So a lot of exciting things coming up at New Spring. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward now to receive the offering, our tithes and offerings that we have for God. And while that's going on, if you will, take a look at the screens. And then if you want to get your Bibles open, if you have a Bible or electronic device, you got an app, you want to go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll be back in just a few moments. God bless. Hold on, stop everything. I mean, come on, who picks this music? Let's start again. This Christmas, Kids World invites you to an awesome Kids World at that. It's December 12th at 7 p.m. It's no average ordinary Christmas carol, though. It's Artie's Christmas Carol, baby. A jingle jam production that's fun for the whole family. So don't miss it. In just a moment, we'll hear a message from God's Word. So please put your cell phones on silent. Also, if you have a child in the room that begins to make noise, please step out into the foyer so others can concentrate on the message without any distractions. If your elementary or middle school student has questions about how to have a relationship with Jesus, be sure to mark your calendar for November 12th. We have a session designed just for your child to get their questions answered. Jumpstart is our session for elementary students and Fresh Start is for middle schoolers. You can find out more and sign up your child at newspring.org start. After just one week of the new westbound turn lane being open, traffic is already improved here at New Spring. Let's take a look at how traffic should flow out of the parking lot and onto 21st with our new lane. All outgoing traffic coming from the west portion of the Y in our driveway will be routed westbound on 21st Street using only the outer turn lane. Keep in mind, no one coming from this side of the drive will be allowed to turn left onto eastbound 21st. Traffic coming from the east portion of the Y will need to merge to the center turn lane if they're turning right onto westbound 21st Street. Eastbound traffic should stay in the inner turn lane for a left turn onto 21st Street. We're hoping this change will de-stress your experience at New Spring and we're excited to see how it improves each week. so many questions. Is there a heaven? Do I deserve to go there? Would I like it? Is it real? If I make it, will I just instantly appear there? I wish that somebody would just tell me these things now. All right, we're going to work today. This isn't going to be maybe a sermon. It's just going to be a workshop because we're going to tackle a really interesting question, and that is, is it possible to leave this world without dying? 
First thing I need to tell you right up front is this is going to be something that's going to be challenging to believe. And I didn't get that from the American Atheist Society or from some other contrarian viewpoint. Uh, actually, our source on this being difficult to believe is the Bible itself. And so, and isn't that strange? The Bible is going to tell us it's difficult to believe what we read in the Bible. But first of all, I want to show you why what we are going to talk about today is challenging to believe. So even though this isn't where we're ultimately going to land in the Bible, I want to take us to 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter is the same one who was one of Jesus' disciples. By this time, Peter's uh, later in life, and he's pastoring. He's uh, sending a letter to a group of people, and he's talking to them about the last days. And so let's just read what he has to say. He said, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth. In other words, people that make fun of things that are sacred. And following their own desires, which is probably the reason why they mock things that are sacred. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, and, and this is their rationale, and this is the reason why it's difficult to believe. Everything has remained the same since the world was first created. So basically, the argument that the scoffers are going to make that it isn't true that Jesus is coming again and that people who are living will suddenly go to heaven, their argument is going to be, I've never seen that happen. Uh, nobody I know has ever seen that happen. My mama ain't seen it happen. My, my grandma didn't see it happen. Nobody I know has ever seen this happen. Everything has continued on from the beginning of time. So since I haven't seen it happen, it can't exist. Now, while that may sound intelligent in our world today, God instantly um, has some problems with that kind of thinking. You know, God is not only genius, he's a great debater. And so it's peculiar sometimes how that people will say, oh, this is this is rational thinking. I've never seen it happen, therefore it can't happen. God is saying, I'm going to knock that down with three points of argument. Let's look at the three points that God raises to say that the idea that we haven't seen something happen, and there have been long periods of normalcy, so we, we don't expect something extraordinary to happen. Let's look at the three points that God is going to bring up to say that he doesn't feel like that's good thinking. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5 now, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command, and brought the earth out from water, surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. So God uses the argument of the flood. Basically, every ancient culture has some sort of report of a universal deluge. And so God points to that. Now, looking forward, and by the same word, what word? The word of God. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. So the first point that God makes is, even though things have rocked on the seam for hundreds, if not thousands of years, God says the, the idea that that's the reason why something extraordinary couldn't happen, God said that that's not good thinking because, number one, he keeps his word. And it has nothing to do with how much time elapses. God always keeps his word. God watered the world the same way for millennia before the flood came. God brought babies into the world the same way for thousands of years before Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary. So God is just saying that he always keeps his word. Long periods of normalcy don't have anything to do with that. The second point that God makes is in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, where God says, but you must not forget this one thing. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. So to God, he just looks at time differently than we do. The idea that thousands of years might pass to God means absolutely nothing, because to him, a thousand years is like a day. Got to be one of the worst old jokes in the world, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, there supposedly a man was praying to God, and no, this isn't true, but supposedly a man was praying to God. He said, God, is it true that to you, a hundred years is like a minute? And God said, yes, my son, that's true. And the guy said, God, is it true to you that a million dollars is like a penny? God said, yes, that's true. The man said, God, can I have one of your pennies? <laughs> and God said, sure, wait a minute. didn't happen. I just want you to know that God doesn't look at time like we do. So all kinds of time can elapse, and if everything continues on in a sense of normalcy, which, by the way, God is the author of that normalcy, then God is just saying, he doesn't look at time the way we do. Now, here's one of the real challenges for me, and, and I don't know exactly how to communicate this, but I'm going to do my best. One of the number one questions that people have asked me through the years is, when did God begin? Well, you see, here's the problem with that. Eternity is the norm. Beginnings and endings are the aberration. See, God, God exists in a, in, a, in a framework of eternity. 
He created time to help us. It's so peculiar to me that people who have a hard time understanding the eternality of God suddenly understand it when it comes to geometry. I never will forget when I was in elementary school, I think it was in the third or fourth grade, when I got introduced to ge geometry. And I still remember our teacher walking to the board and drawing a line and putting arrows on either end of the line. She said, you know what I've done? I've drawn a line. You know why the arrows are there? Because she said to us, theoretically, a line extends into infinity in both directions. And then she drew a line and put a point at the beginning and a point at the end. She said, you know what I've drawn? She said, I've drawn a piece of a line. It's called a line segment. It has a point of beginning and a point of ending. And then she did something that I really didn't expect. She drew a line on the board, put a point at the beginning of the line and an arrow at the end of the line. She said, you know what I've just drawn? I've drawn a ray. A ray has a point of beginning and no ending. It's, it extends into infinity. And you and I need to think about geometry a little bit when we think about God, because God is like a line. He has no point of beginning. He has no point of ending. Our lives down here are like a line segment. They have a point of ending. They have a point of, point of beginning, point of ending. But the real you, the real you and me, we're like rays. We have a point of beginning, but we're never going to end. Isn't it peculiar that we understand it simply when it comes to geometry, and yet we struggle to understand it in the most important context of all? So God is just saying time to, time to him isn't like time to us. That a thousand years is like a day to him. And so, again, for things to go on for a long period of time in understood normalcy and then suddenly change, God says that, that's not a big thing to him. But here's the third and the main point. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to, be, to repent or to change his way or change your way of thinking. Isn't it ironic that the very argument that skeptics use against God is God's kindness to them? Because the reason why things have rocked down the same for thousands of years is God's just giving people time. And we'll, we'll see in just a few moments what exactly he's giving people time for. Well, one more thing before, while we're just talking about this as being difficult to believe and why it's being difficult to believe. Um, I think it's interesting that Peter wrote I don't know exactly when he wrote the, this particular letter. I'm guessing somewhere in between the year AD 60 and AD 66, Nero was on the throne. Well, the reason I find that significant is I'm guessing that Peter's church was really looking for the coming of Jesus. They were really hoping he came back, and we wouldn't blame him for that. But what I find significant is that Peter really, if you read between the lines, was basically telling his church it isn't going to happen in our lifetime. He said, in the last days. Well, if you're holding a Bible in your hand, a third of what you're holding is prophecy. God has a way of calling the future. And so many of the verses in the Bible that talk about the last days, and they're in the Old Testament and the New Testament, most of them refer to one specific seminal event. And that is the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Now, guys, I know this is more history than you want, probably, but still important if you're a God follower, just knowing how God works. We've done a couple of series this year in which we've talked about Jewish people in captivity. One of them was Nehemiah when they went back and rebuilt the walls. And then legendary, we talked about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Esther. All that happened when Israel was carried away into captivity. And this, is, again, it's probably more than you want to know. But basically, Israel was carried away into captivity over a period of four dates. Um, it's around 700 B.C. and then, uh, you know, of... Uh, 606, 597, 586 B.C. During that time, Israel was carried away into captivity in stages. Israel did not exist as a sovereign power from 586 B.C. until 1948 A.D. So there's like 2,500 years that Israel did not exist as a nation. Well, many of the Old Testament prophets who wrote about the last days did so focusing on the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Now, I wasn't around in 1948. That's a little before my time. few of you were. But I was 10 years old in 1967 when in the Six-Day War, Israel got back the entire city of Jerusalem. Now, the reason why I focus on that today is simply this. The scriptures that Peter is writing is far more to you and me than it was to his church. Because he said, I want you to know in the last days, there are going to be mockers who are going to come along and say, hey, we don't see any sign of Jesus coming. Uh, everything has continued on since the beginning of time. So, I find it significant that this is probably written to you and me. Well, now we know why it's hard to understand, or why it's hard to accept. But let's talk for a few moments about what it is that's so hard to believe. I want to take you now 
from uh, the book of 2 Peter to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your Bible or electronic device, move over now to 1 Corinthians 15. By the way, if you're a God follower or even if you're somebody who's exploring God following, 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the most important chapters in your Bible, and I'll tell you why. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is addressing the question, what are we going to be like after the resurrection? The church at Corinth, well, let me back up and let me just talk about the city of Corinth. Corinth was kind of like the confluence of multiple cultures. In that regard, it was a lot like America. It sort of had the power and juice of Rome with the intellectualism of Greece. It was just a place where a lot of cultures came together, a lot of thoughts collided. And in, in that context, there was a church. And the church was struggling to deal with the question, what happens after you die? And there are all kinds of thoughts. Maybe there's a resurrection. Maybe it's already passed. Uh, maybe you come back, like Plato said, and you just live in people's minds or live in people's hearts or memories. Or it could be that you come back as some other life form. It was into that context that Paul informed them about what happens after you die and after the resurrection. So that's why 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the most important chapters in your Bible. And I'm glad it's long. It's over 50 verses long. Paul is saying life after the resurrection is like this. Now, deep into that chapter in verse 51, there's an interesting word that he begins a verse with because he's been talking about the resurrection. The word is, but. In other words, after doing all this talk about the resurrection, Paul's going to change gears. Read with me. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. Now that's pretty strong. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Now if you circle things in your mind, or if you, if you, if you want to circle it in your Bible, it's a great word to, to circle. We'll all be transformed or changed. It will happen in a moment. Now that doesn't mean a minute. The word for moment there is a period of time so small that it can't be divided. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Well, you and I just read that at the coming of Christ, there are going to be people who are alive who are, alive, who are not going to die. And our first temptation is to say, that's the freakiest thing I've ever heard. But not at all. Hey, the Bible is a book that makes wonderful sense. And when we give it a chance, it will make all the sense in the world to us. Let me just, um, let me talk to those of you who may have grown up in church like I did. And if you didn't grow up in church, you don't have this extra baggage that some of us have. I'm staying away from a particular word today for a reason. And the word I'm staying away from is rapture. Because many of us have been taught about the coming of the Lord. And, and there's nothing wrong with that term. It's a good theological term. It's just that for many of us, we're a little jaded because we have heard a lot of sermons about the rapture. Or we have read a lot of books about the rapture. And because of that, there's a sensationalistic vibe to it. For me, I think that vibe gets in the way. I grew up in church. And when I, when I was a kid, there were a lot of messages about prophecy. And I think for good reason. Because as I said, when I was 10 years old, Israel got back the entire city of Jerusalem, and we knew we were in the last days. So because of that, you had all these great books like Late Great Planet Earth and others that were, they were talking about prophecy. But I heard a lot of sermons that really honestly sent me in the wrong direction. For instance, I mean, preachers would wax eloquent and sensationalistic about how that when Jesus came back, we were going to float off the ground and float through the clouds and float through the sky and the stars. I, I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> honestly. I am terrified of heights. I never flew till I was 35. And you couldn't get me in the St. Louis Arch with a gun. <laughs> I've spoken in Toronto several times, and they have kind of like the Space Needle in Seattle. But the thing about theirs in Toronto is it's got a, like a plexiglass floor, and you can just like walk out over. They, they told me that. They said, Mark, we're going to take you downtown Toronto. And, and you just, they said, you can just walk out over the city. And they said, if you want to, you can just lie down there. And I said, no, I can't. I said, I'll just see you in the coffee shop when you get back downstairs. <laughs> and that's right, I did. I, I just, and I hear preachers like, we're going to float up through the closet. I'm thinking, you know, if I live till the rapture, I'll die in it. <laughs> I'll die of a heart attack floating up through. 
And, you know, people were getting weird. You know, there's like, and you've got you to be really old to know about this. I'm sorry to all of you, most of you New Springers who are too young to remember this. People put bumper stickers on the back of their cars. Warning, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. Well, that's a great thought for you, isn't it? And some of them were driving so poorly, it looked like they were unmanned right then. <laughs> Christians can do some of the quirkiest stuff. Can I get a witness on and, and, you know, I mean, it, it was just, it was bizarre. You hear stories about, oh, airplanes will be flying in the sky and the pilot will disappear. Well, honestly, as I said, all that stuff kind of pushed me away. Let me tell you what helps me when I open the Bible. So when I open the Bible and figure out exactly what it is that God is trying to do. Because there's a wisdom to God. See, here's the thing. When I was a kid growing up, it was, it was as if God was going to pull off the rapture to, for the cool factor of it. And that's not true. See, here's our thing. The reason why we struggle with understanding the fact that some of us may never die is we have a hard time understanding a couple of key concepts of God. And I really need five hours to give you those key concepts. But take it, don't, don't, you can let your breath out. I'm not going to take five hours because I know it's lunch, lunchtime. I, in fact, it'll be like drinking from a fire hose. But I want to take just a few moments to sketch out for you the two concepts that we struggle to understand, if we understood what God was up to, we would understand perfectly well why he's got to take some of us out all at once without dying. Let me give you the first one. We don't understand death. We don't even know what death is. I'm not even sure we know the meaning of the word. And I'll tell you why. Because when we think about somebody dying, we tend to think about what we see. And Paul has already told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, what we can see is temporary. Everything you can see is temporary. I can see I see you today, but I don't see you. I just see your bodies. I can't see the real you. Everything we see is temporary. It's what we can't see that's eternal. Well, that's what screws us up when we think about death, because what do we go by? We go by what we see. And even those of us who have been God followers for a long period of time, we have a hard time getting out of the groundwater of our thinking that death is the cosmic stop sign. Because that's what it looks like, isn't it? I mean, death is the cosmic stop sign. Even without realizing it, how many of us will begin to refer to people who have died in the past tense? Even those of us who know that you live on after you die. It's just so hard for us to get out of our mind that death is the cessation of life. It's the cosmic stop sign. I'm going tell you right now what the title of my Easter message is. Would y'all act like you never heard it when we come to Easter? Here's the title of my Easter message. Well, let me tell you this before I give you the title. You know, you know it's like when you're flying and you know you can use your electronic devices and then right before they land they tell you to shut everything down? And that's when you know you reach for that catalog that's got the cheesy stuff that nobody would buy. Did y'all buy something from that? <laughs> it's kind of quiet in here. But anyway, I, I was looking through that catalog, and I found a bracelet. And engraved in the bracelet is a saying that I use all the time. I use it with my staff. The, the saying on the bracelet was, it is what it is. I use it all the time because thing about saying it is what it is is sort of like an embracing of reality. But I started thinking about death and that, and I thought, yeah, yeah, it is what it is, but it's not what it seems. And I had my dad's funeral here last year. His casket was right here. You know, it is what it is. Dad didn't go home with us. I mean, listen, guys, I've done a lot of funerals. I did one yesterday. I've probably conducted somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 funerals. I've never seen anybody get up out of the casket. You know, Mark Twain was asked one time, what do you want people to say when they pass your casket? He said, I want them to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that doesn't happen, does it? It is what it is. But it's not what it seems. And so that's what the Bible is trying to tell us, is death, death is so much more than it looks like. Now, here's the thing. One of our problems with death is that we really don't even know what the word means. The Greek word for death is thanatos, which means separation. See, and this is what's so cool about the rapture. The, the rapture says some of us are not going to sleep. In other words, some of us are not going to go through the action of physical death. But all of us have to be transformed. The whole purpose of death is for transformation to take place. God's not looking to end our existence. It's just that he needs to change our existence. So when someone we love who believes in Jesus Christ, when that person separates, what has happened is they have now transformed into the person that God wanted them to be ultimately. 
Maybe when I say we don't understand death, it could be that I need to get a little bit more fundamental. I'm not sure we understand life. Let, let me throw it, well, what's going to feel like theology, but I don't know that I'll ever tell you anything more important than what I'm going to tell you in the next few moments. Because if you want to understand life, you've got to understand something. When God made our first parents, he put them into the world, and he put them into the world as eternal creatures, and he put them in the world as perfect. But he said to them, I'm going to give you all these wonderful gifts, but don't sin against me. Now, one of the questions I've been asked through the years is this question. Mark, if God knew that our first parents were going to sin, why did he even give them the opportunity? And honestly, I'm going to be gracious. That's not the most informed question because all of us who love know the answer to that question. You can't have a loving relationship where there is no choice. That's a robotic relationship. If you want to have a loving relationship, you have to give that person the choice. Elsewise, it isn't love. And so consequently, if God wanted a loving relationship. He wanted people he could love, and he wanted people who could love him. And so what did he have to do? He had to give them a choice. Now listen, he made that choice as easy as possible by giving them everything and basically withholding nothing from them. He told them, don't, don't flip me off. But he said, the moment you do, you're going to separate. You'll be separated eternally. But we have the word die there, but we know it means separate. But what happened with our first parents? They sinned. I like to stay away from theological words, but let me use one. The human race fell. Everything broke at that point. Uh, the world broke. Bad things were in, uh, ushered into our culture. Uh, we became flawed. And most of all, the human race came under the judgment and condemnation of God. God told them that would happen. You say, well, it doesn't affect me. Yeah, it kind of does. Because biologically and, and legally, at that moment, we were still in our first parents. And so when they sinned and they fell, we fell right along with them. You say, Mark, that's not fair. You're right, it's not fair, but it's legal. For instance, and I've heard this happen at New Spring, there could be a woman here today married to a guy. He's a total jerk. He goes out and runs up a whole lot of credit card bills. You don't have anything to do with it. Is it fair that you're liable for it? No. Is it legal? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happened with our first parents. When they sinned against God, they took us with them. But guys, you have a wonderful God. And so here's the thing. This is, if you want to understand the Bible, this is what the Bible is all about. Our first parents screwed things up so royally. We were legally in a mess. We now run to the same condemnation they were. God had to figure out a way to offer you and me an opportunity to un- decide what our first parents decide to choose a different way but the only way he could do that was to start things all over again and let us start fresh but we're already flawed and broken so how does he do that he gave us a pinch hitter and a pitch runner he sent his son into the world God and human at the same time he ran the table for 33 years and never did anything wrong lived the life that you and I couldn't live then he took that perfect life and laid it down on a Roman cross and the way God looked at it he took our hell for us on the cross for six hours and so that anybody who puts their confidence in Jesus Christ has an opportunity to unmake the choice that our first parents made and to choose for God that is what the whole Bible is about so here is what your life is about you have to understand this temporary existence that you and I experience right now this temporary experience is just to give us an opportunity to make that right choice and then to live for a little while giving glory to God so that God could say to Satan hey not everybody hates me but we have a problem when you accepted Jesus Christ do you notice you sort of still have the old nature you inherited and were born with Lord knows I do I still struggle with a bunch of stuff. And so consequently, that's where we are. And the thing about it is, you, here's the deal. You are a trichotomy. You're a three-parted being. You have a body, you have a soul, that's your intellectual person, and you have a spirit, that's your apparatus for communication with God. You're not, a, you're not a body that has a soul and spirit. You're a soul and spirit that has a body. And here is what has to happen. When you die, what death is all about, God has got to free you from that old nature and that old person that you were born with so that you are free to be the person forever that you are in Jesus Christ. That is what death is, and that is the very purpose of death. So you understand, when God comes along and says, when Jesus comes, there will be some people who are alive. They won't have to go through the process of physical death, but they will go through transformation since that's what death was all about in the first place. Oh, starts making all the sense in the world, doesn't it? 
But now let's go to the second thing. The second thing that we have a hard time understanding, and wow, this one's more complex, and I'm just going to take my best crack at it. It's a challenge for us to understand that God is doing different things in different seasons in the history of the world. See, we sort of look at life through the context, and for those of us who are Americans, I know that some of you are watching online who are members of other nations, but even for all of us around the world today, we tend to look at the world through the prism of our own life, what's going on in our world. But God has worked in different ways in different seasons. This is maybe a talk for another day, but uh, God has what we call covenants, or he has deals working. And one of those covenants that God has made is with the nation of Israel. In the book of Genesis chapter 11, God introduces us to Abraham, and God makes a promise to Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation. And God says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And by the way, it's a good reason why all of us need to be friends of Israel in our world today. Because God has a special relationship with them, and he will have it forever. That's real clear, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. And I'm watching, and I'm not surprised because I know we're in the last days. I'm watching a growing hostility toward Israel. And even inside, our, even inside our country, I've never seen this before. I have the opportunity of, of dealing with Jewish leaders and, and, and partnering with them, doing some cool things in the city of Wichita. E even they are telling me, we haven't seen this level of hostility before. And I think it's because we're in the last days. But God has a thing with Israel, and from the beginning of time. Now, it's not because God has said about the people of Israel that they're better than any other people. It's just that God has worked through Israel in order to bring the Messiah through them. Now, we're about to celebrate Christmas. You do know who Jesus is in regard to the nation of Israel. Years after Abraham, when David is on the throne, King David, God came to King David, and he said to him, you're going to have a dynasty, but not an ordinary dynasty. Your dynasty is going to last forever. You are going to have a descendant who is going to rule forever. Now, I'm sure David had a hard time processing that. Because being human, David knew that human beings have a lifespan. And for God to come along and say, one of your descendants is going to rule on the throne forever, that would have been a stretch for, for David to accept that. And still and yet, that is what God promised. How many times have you read the New Testament and you see Jesus introduce himself as son of David? Why is that important? Because you have to understand that 400 years before the New Testament began, the Jews didn't have any king. But all of a sudden, Jesus comes along, and here's the thing. When you read the genealogies of Jesus, what, what, what is the genealogy there for? The genealogies are there to prove that Jesus has a right to rule and reign and to fulfill the Davidic, the, the Davidic prophecy, the Davidic kingdom. For instance, if you read uh, the, the genealogy of Matthew, the genealogy is in two of the Gospels, in Matthew and Luke. If you read the genealogy of, of Matthew, Jesus is a descendant of David through, through David's son Solomon. Although, if you look at that, that's Joseph's genealogy. So we know Jesus is not the biological son of Joseph, Joseph, but Matthew uses that because Matthew is presenting a legal genealogy. If you read the genealogy in Luke, Luke takes that genealogy back through Mary and to David's son Nathan, proving that Jesus has a right to the throne of David both legally and biologically. But let something happen. I have six minutes left to take. I really need a whole hour for this, but we're going to try it in six minutes, okay? There is one of the strangest prophecies in your Bible in the book of Daniel chapter 9. Now, I love the book of Daniel, and I talked to you about this in the Legendary series. Daniel is a really interesting book. Half of it is narrative, half of it is prophecy. But the prophecies in Daniel are extraordinary because time after time, God gives not only the future uh, within the headlights of the book of Daniel, but God gives us many prophecies that haven't been fulfilled in our world today. There's a lot of prophecies about the Antichrist, a lot of prophecies about the tribulation are in the book of Daniel. In fact, it's almost impossible to understand Revelation without Daniel. But in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, God does something he almost never does. God is keen on telling us the future, but he rarely ever gives us a timetable. I don't know why he does that. But in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, you have a, a calendar, a timetable of future events. In fact, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but this is why the wise men 
came to Bethlehem. You remember that they had been very much influenced by Daniel 500 years before. And Daniel had given them this calendar. They, we're going to read in just a moment. They knew that in 483 years, the king was going to die. So basically, all these wise men, they were ginned up looking. For, I mean, they didn't know when he was going to be born. But if they knew when he was going to die, they sort of could compute what an average lifespan would be. And so consequently, they were looking for him. Daniel would have also given them Numbers 24, 17, which would have said the king's birth was going to be in association with the star. So when they saw the star in the sky, they took off because they have the calendar that you and I are about to read. Let's look. A period of 70 sets of seven, that's 490 years, has been decreed. Now, this is, this is really key language here. God is talking to Daniel. What nationality is Daniel? He's Jewish, okay? For your people and your holy city, it's Jerusalem. So in other words, God is saying, what I'm about to do right now has to do with the people of Israel and Jerusalem. 490 years, a whole bunch of stuff is going to happen. Well, what's going to happen? Read with me. To finish the rebellion, to put it into sin, to atone for their guilt. Now, some of that's already happened, but look at this. To bring in everlasting righteousness. I don't know about you. I live in Andover. It's a really fine city, but we don't have everlasting righteousness in Andover yet. Do y'all have it where you live? Haven't found that yet. We don't even have that in New Spring. <laughs> uh, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, while well, not all prophecy has been fulfilled, and to anoint the most holy place. That's the, that's the temple for the millennium. That's not here yet. So we got a problem on our hands. Daniel has said in 400, I mean, God has told Daniel in 490 years, all these extraordinary things are going to happen. Well, Daniel was writing 500 years before Jesus was born. And here we are 2,000 years after, and we're looking at that saying 490 years and not all that stuff has happened. Thankfully for us, God begins to break this apart and parse it for us. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven, that's 49 years, plus 62 sets of seven, that's 434 years, total of 483, will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem and a ruler, the anointed one, we know that's an expression meaning Jesus, the anointed one comes. Now what happens at that point? Now we know in 483 years the anointed one is going to come, but look at how the Bible continues on. After this period of 62 sets of seven, 483 out of the 490 years, after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. Now, if I'm Jewish and I'm reading in Daniel's time, I'm thinking, wait a minute. We got this prophecy that there's going to be a king and he's going to rule forever. And yet I'm just reading that after 483 years, he's going to die and it's going to look like he's accomplished absolutely nothing. But by the way, isn't that a perfectly precise explanation of what happened when Jesus died? He came as the king of the Jews. He came as king and king of kings. And yet he was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem in a trash dump. And no doubt there were those who thought that Jesus accomplished absolutely nothing. But how cool is it? Like Babe Ruth pointed to the left field and said, I'm going to hit it right over there. Just like that. Daniel wrote what God gave him to write. After 483 years, Messiah's coming. He's going to die. It's going to look like he's accomplished nothing. But it leaves seven years, doesn't it? Now, read with me one more time. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood. Now, I'm not going to read a whole lot further, but here's the thing. It says this ruler will make a treaty with Israel for seven years. And in the middle of it, he'll turn on Israel. And guys, let me just tell you, what you read about there is the Antichrist and what's going to happen in a period that the Bible calls the Tribulation Period. Isn't that something? 483 years, the clock ticked until Jesus died. And then it stopped and leaves seven left to go. What the prophets could not see was that God wanted to do something very extraordinary. For now, nearly 2,000 years, God has worked this cool thing called the church. And he didn't, they didn't know about that. God stopped the clock and made time for you and me. And the day is coming, and I think we're probably in that time frame, when the clock is going to start ticking again. And for the first time in history, God's got a situation on his hands. He's got one group of people he's working with, and he's got some, some cool things he wants to do with a totally different group of people. And he's got to get us out of here. The rapture, the coming of Christ, and those of us who are alive getting out of here, it's not the cool factor. It's just the fact that we're in the way. 
God's got some cool stuff he wants to do when he wraps this whole thing up and in seven years puts his son on the throne. That's what this is all about. It makes all the sense in the world. And who knows? Maybe you and I will be in the generation who will wake up one morning in Kansas and finish out the day in heaven. Or maybe go to sleep one night and wake up in heaven. I love that. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next weekend.